This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the packet, 8.net toll-free line for you. And it's Ian here with you. And Mark. Let's turn Julia's microphone on. (laughs) Turn that again, Julia. And Julia. Hi. All right. 800-259-9231. We're doing a talk show tonight. We're going to give it our best shot, at least. (laughs) And you can call in and talk about whatever you want. That's why we call the show Free Talk Live. Once again, that packet, 8.net toll free line, 800-259-9231. Lots to talk about here. I'm going to do my best to catch up on some emails. I've slowly and quietly been trying to do that all week long. I got a couple for you, too. And so that'll be good. Um, we're going to start things out by talking about one of my favorite plants, <laughs> marijuana. I know what that is. Yes. Marijuana. Lester Grinspoon, reporting for the Boston Globe, that a new study reveals in the journey neurology being hailed as unassailable proof that marijuana is a valuable medicine. Now, we've already had a few studies over the past year or two. In fact, I believe there was one recently as well that uh, was pretty pretty darn solid towards uh, pointing to the fact that marijuana can actually help people. You know how all these people in wheelchairs with MS and AIDS and cancer over the years have been claiming that marijuana helps them? You know, these irresponsible people, marijuana helps them. Pooshah. Well, as it turns out, According to Neurology, it's a sad commentary on the state of modern medicine and U.S. drug policy that we still need proof of something that medicine has known for 5,000 years. The study from the University of California at San Francisco found that smoked marijuana to be effective at relieving the extreme pain of a debilitating condition known as peripheral uh, peripheral neuropathy. It was a study of HIV patients, but a similar type of pain caused by uh, damage to nerves afflicts people with many other illnesses, including diabetes and multiple sclerosis. Neuropathic pain is notoriously resistant to treatment with conventional pain drugs. Even powerful and addictive narcotics like morphine and oxycontin provide, they call it uh, hillbilly heroin, that's what uh, Rush Limbaugh's drug of choice is, Uh, often provide little Are you calling Rush Limbaugh a hillbilly? No. Okay. Uh, They often provide little relief. This study leaves no doubt that marijuana can safely ease this type of pain. As all marijuana research in the United States must be, the new study was conducted with government-supplied marijuana of notoriously poor quality. So it probably even underestimated the potential benefit. This is all good news, but it shouldn't be news at all. In the 40-odd years that I've been studying the medicinal uses of marijuana, I've learned that the recorded history of this medicine goes back to ancient times, and that in the 19th century it became a well-established Western medicine whose versatility and safety were unquestioned. From 1840, and speaking of, uh, of safety, and he might touch on this, but I saw a chart recently of the various different illegal drugs, and I believe they actually included alcohol and, and uh, tobacco on there as well, but the chart listed the people who died over a year's period of time from taking those particular drugs. It was just a neat chart because they started with the highest number. I think that was heroin or something like that. And, and then they Makes went sense. down the list. And, and marijuana was down at the bottom with zero because you just don't die from smoking pot. No, not from smoking pot. Um, you know, there's probably somebody out there somewhere who was either uh, you know, killed in a car wreck while stoned or killed somebody in a car wreck while stoned. And Sure. I guess you could... I, if you wanted to be liberal with the numbers, you could use those. That wouldn't really be accurate, though, as far as deaths attributed directly from the right. usage of these drugs. Because heroin, it, it'll stop your heart, you know. Whereas 
Marijuana, not so much. From 1840 to 1900, American and European medical journals published over 100 papers on the therapeutic uses of marijuana, also known as cannabis. Of course, our knowledge has advanced greatly over the years. Scientists have identified over 60 unique constituents in marijuana called cannabinoids, and we've learned much about how they work. We've also learned that our own bodies produce similar chemicals called endocannabinoids. The mountain of accumulated anecdotal evidence that pointed the way to the present and other clinical studies also strongly suggests there are a number of other devastating disorders and symptoms for which marijuana has been used for centuries. They deserve the same kind of careful, methodologically sound research. While few such studies have so far been completed, all have lent weight to what medicine already knew, but had largely forgotten or ignored, that marijuana is effective at relieving nausea and vomiting, which is why AIDS patients and cancer patients uh, use marijuana, because the the, uh, prescription drugs they are supposed to take are very, very... uh, toxic in their system and it makes them want to puke after they take it Mm -hmm. so they smoke marijuana to keep the pills down so they can actually get the benefit from those pills because if you're puking up the pills uh 10 minutes after you take them they're not doing you any good now um there have been many uh scientific studies on marijuana that have shown that it it does help people and there's even been um real live double blind scientific tests that prove that marijuana helps people but even if it didn't help people even if they just felt like they were helped, should we stop them? I mean, when I was little, my grandmother used to rub aloe plant on my uh, sunburns. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I lived in Florida. I went out and, and you know, a child's uh, sensitive skin, they have a tendency to get sunburns, and I'd go out sure. and get, get sunburned now and then. And when I did, she'd rub aloe on it. It made it cooler, and I, um, it, it felt better, but there was always those little prickly things on it that bothered me. Anyway. Um, should... I don't think they have that anymore. Aloe plants? The yeah, the, the aloe stuff you buy in the store, it doesn't have the prickly. Well, no, no, no. This that's isn't... aloe vera, a gel. It's not. He's talking about the aloe plant. The I real think. deal. Yeah, yeah, actually, she, little... she snapped open the plant and right. actually rubbed Absolutely. it on Absolutely. She grew it for just such, a, um, just such purposes. And should she not be allowed to use this plant? I mean, that, that's essentially what we're doing here. Yeah, we're telling people you can't use a plant that grows naturally within the earth. For medicinal purposes. It's really what nuts. If, and then, what if she wanted to use the plant just... Felt like rubbing it on her skin if she didn't have uh, a sunburn. Should we stop her from doing that? <laughs> no. No. It's just silly. This is a plant, people. We shouldn't stop her from putting it up her butt if that's what she wants to do. I mean, it's her business. Talking about my grandmother here. Marijuana, she's dead. Come on. Marijuana God. is effective at relieving <laughs> nausea and vomiting. And that, that, that's, I'm not trying to be um, rude. That's, a, that's an effective way to take chemicals. It's not aloe plant. No. <laughs> giving you an example. Sticking leaves up there. Uh, marijuana is effective at relieving nausea and vomiting, spasticity, you can if you want. appetite loss, certain types of pain, and other debilitating syst- uh, symptoms. And it's extraordinarily safe. Safer than most medicines prescribed every day. If marijuana were a new discovery rather than a well-known substance carrying cultural and political baggage, it might be hailed as a wonder drug. The pharmaceutical industry is scrambling to isolate cannabinoids and synthesize analogs and to package them in non-smokable forms. In time, companies will almost certainly come up with products and delivery systems that are more useful and less expensive than herbal marijuana. However, the analogs they've produced so far are more expensive than herbal marijuana, and none has shown any improvement over the plant nature gave us to take orally or to smoke. I might add that there's also the vaporization option, 
which uh, eliminates the smoking of marijuana. It eliminates all the carbon. It eliminates all the nasty little side effects you get from com- the combustion process. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think up in Canada, vaporization has become very popular, considering Canada is sort of it's a lot more kind. The government of Canada more kind towards marijuana than USA uh, than the U.S. government. And so the vaporization thing's really caught on up there. We now, the vaporization essentially it doesn't burn the marijuana. It just sort of correct. It 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 makes it hot enough that the uh, THC kind of lifts off. Yeah, and, it, and well, then, like like boiling a pot of water, you get vapor coming off of it. Right. Uh, the same thing here. You're essentially boiling the chemicals right out of the plant. Hmm. Okay. That's what's going on. We live in an anti-smoking environment, but as a method of delivering certain medicinal compounds, smoking marijuana has real advantages. The effect is almost instantaneous, allowing the patient, who is, after all, the best judge, to fine-tune his or her dose to get the needed relief without intoxication. Smoked marijuana has never been demonstrated to have serious pulmonary consequences, but in any case, the technology to inhale these cannabinoids without smoking marijuana already exists as vaporizers that allow for smoke-free inhalation. Hopefully the uh, UCSF study will add to the pressure on the U.S. government to rethink its irrational ban on the medicinal use of marijuana and its destructive attacks on patients and caregivers in states that have chosen to allow such use. Rather than admit that they've been mistaken all these years, federal officials can cite important new data and start revamping outdated and destructive policies. The new Congress could go uh, could go far in establishing its bona fides and both reasonable and compassionate uh, that it is both reasonable and compassionate by immediately moving on this issue, which I don't expect they'll do. Such legislation would bring much needed relief to millions of Americans suffering from cancer, AIDS, multiple sclerosis, arthritis, and other debilitating illnesses. So, you either care about people who are hurting and you want them to have access to whatever works for them, or you're a heartless jerk. What are you? 800-259-9231. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up what you want toll-free, 800-259-9231. The packet 8.net toll-free line for you. You can join us online at freetalklive.com, where all the features are totally free, including updates. You get signed up. We clue you in whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show. The updates list is available for you at updates.freetalklive.com. So get on it. That's updates.freetalklive.com. It is Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. And again, join us online, freetalklive.com. And Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project, your only choice for more personal freedom and smaller, less intrusive government. To learn more about joining the Second American Revolution, go to freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. Org. Now, we were talking a moment ago about uh, Lester Grinspoon wrote up a nice little article about medical marijuana and uh, talking about how more and more evidence continues to come out, albeit slowly. And the reason why it's slowly is because, well, the federal government almost completely refuses to allow testing to be done on it. But they did actually allow some testing to be done, even though it was done on lousy, government-grown ditchweed. <laughs> They still found out that this stuff actually has some effect, that this drug actually helps people. Not only does it help people keep their uh, pills down for AIDS and cancer patients, but it also helps people with extreme neuropathic pain. And so, again, the evidence continues to mount. And, appropriately enough, we continue to see more states around the country moving in the direction towards uh, medical marijuana. I saw an article today, uh, Drug Reform Coordination Network, uh, pointing out, I believe it's Minnesota. There, there's another uh, one of the, the Midwestern states that may be going soon to uh, medical marijuana. I believe be a, I saw New Mexico. 
That's the story I have, actually. New, there's also New Mexico, and they're moving much faster. Uh, Santa Fe, according to the Associated Press, Democratic Governor Bill Richardson po- uh, poised to sign a bill making New Mexico the 12th, uh, 12th state to legalize medical marijuana. Said Thursday he realizes his action could become an issue in the presidential race. But, he said, quote, so what if it's risky? It's the right thing to do, said Richardson. Now, if we could only have more politicians making statements like that. You know what? It is the right thing to do. These are people that need help. These people that are sick, multiple sclerosis, um, AIDS, cancer, these people need as much uh, assistance as they can have. And if and if a little plant can help them out, then they should be able to use it. And so congratulations to this guy. I'm not going to vote for him, but congratulations to him for at least taking this position. He said one of the he's apparently one of the candidates in the crowded 2008 field. Quote, what we're talking about is 160 people in deep pain. It only affects them. The legislation would create a program under which some patients with a doctor's recommendation could use marijuana provided by the state health department. Ugh. Yeah, well, it's a step in the right direction. Um, I think we need to take the marijuana out of the hands of the government so people can actually purchase marijuana that's um, worthy of smoking. Because this government pot is just crap. Well, you know, anything the government does, they're going to do it, you know, poorly. But, I mean, that's just what government does. Right, and if you doubt that, then look at the... Uh, well, then tell me something they've done well. Well, that's true, but even just on this one issue, it's already been proven that they can't even grow weed. I mean, this is the easiest stuff in the world to grow, and they can't even get this right. They screwed it up in Canada. Canada, a couple of years ago, had a program that they created where the government was going to dole out the marijuana didn't work out. All the all the marijuana smokers that tried it complained about it, and they went right back to their black market connections. Uh, at least California's got it right. We were there uh, for the Radio and Records convention last week, and we met up with a good friend of mine, and he sort of gave us a little tour around town, that sort of thing. And um, basically, uh, the way he put it was that these marijuana gro- uh, not grow ops, but the distribution points, the compassion clinics, I believe they're called, they just keep popping up all over the place and pop what, up like weeds right well what they're doing is they, they pop up so fast that the dea couldn't keep up with them if they if they wanted to apparently and once enough of them pop up the dea targets the biggest of them and takes them out they sort of some of them sort of get scared and they go underground for a little while and then they pop they just keep popping up again and as a result of all this competition as a result of the fact that these people don't have to get their marijuana from the government there's a stunning variety of marijuana for sale in California. Uh, yeah, I, I would imagine there is. Stunning. And uh, but the one thing that's shocking to me is that the prices haven't really dropped. And you'd think that after a, even after some partial legalization, which is what they have there, that there'd be some sort of uh, d- drop in the prices. But I, I don't see that well, happening. It's not really legal to grow it. It's only legal to um, that's true to have it for you know you, medicinal purposes. Well, you can grow. You can get permission from the government to grow, to sell to people um, that have prescriptions for medicinal purposes. Now that's the state government, not not the federal government, right? The state government. Okay. Right. So maybe it's that because the black market still exists to an extent, or there's how about just this not is, enough demand. How I about this is speculation? Um, if if I say grow in California, I can still take it across the uh, border to Nevada or Oregon to um, sell there. So you right. know, I'm going to get the black market rates in Nevada or in Oregon. So therefore, it drives up prices in California if they and, wish to have, you know, otherwise there'll be no supply. 
And to be fair, I was getting quoted the black market rates. No, I, we didn't, we couldn't go into one of the you have to uh, have prescription, prescription stores because right. you have to have, actually have to have to show your prescription as you walk in. So we wouldn't be allowed. Uh, we wouldn't be allowed to walk in and browse around. Aren't they really easy to get though? The marijuana cards in in California. So I hear. Yes. That's what I hear from everyone I know who lives in California. And to be fair, I think the prices there are a little bit lower in general. Like. You can't find bad weed in in California. You really have to try very diff, very hard to find the bad stuff. So really, all the pot is really really good. And then there's like there's the best of the best pot that's for sale as well. And that's those are the prices I was being quoted. And you just can't even find that stuff anywhere else. So it's just amazing what uh, what that's done. Anyway, this guy uh, Bill Richardson in New, uh, New Mexico. The legislation is going to create a government program where the patients can use government weed provided by the state health department. Lawmakers approved the bill Wednesday. The governor is expected to sign it in the next few weeks. So they're well on their way uh, towards this. Sounds like it. So that's going to be state number 12, right? State number 12, correct. Richardson has supported the proposal since he first ran in 2002, but he pushed especially hard for it this year, leaning on some Democrats to change their votes after the bill initially failed, Uh, which, you know... When you think about Republicans and Democrats, sort of the the generic uh, thought about Democrats is that they'd be more open to this sort of thing. But it's really surprising sometimes when you talk to some Democrats, and they, they're not even too sure about this whole legalization thing, let alone legalizing other drugs. No, they don't so, know how they can benefit. That's, that, that's the reason. They're a politician. They don't see any way to benefit, so why should they do it? I just mean the rank and file. I'm not even talking about the politicians. Yeah, that much is true. So they're, they're not even necessarily allies here. Give him credit. It's not something you would do because you're going to garner great political support for it. It is a bit controversial, said a political analyst at the Brookings Institution in Washington. By the same token, he says it's not likely to hurt him in the Democratic contest. Quote, if he were to surprise us all and actually win the Democratic nomination, he's got an interesting mix of positions. And then they go on to uh, continue to analyze his political chances in the, uh, the upcoming race. He says, quote, I don't see it as being a big issue. This is for medical purpose or medicinal purposes for the people that are suffering. My God, let's be reasonable, he said. Indeed, let's be reasonable. <laughs> I can't see I can't see what's unreasonable about it. 1-800-259-9231. Now, it's one thing for him to sign a bill that that legalizes marijuana for uh, medicinal purposes, but it's another thing entirely for a politician to come out and take the position of, you know what? We have uh, states' rights. Of course, states don't actually have rights, but they believe that they do. We have states' rights, and uh, you know what? We've had enough of you federal government thugs coming into our state, shutting down these people's access to the drug that they want. If another DEA agent sets foot here in the state and makes another arrest for marijuana, we're going to arrest you. That's what Mm -hmm. I'd like to see happen. That'd be true political courage. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. The packet8.net all free line for you, and it's Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. And you can join us online, freetalklive.com, the place to go. All the features there are totally free, including live streams, the broadband version of the show, and a dial up version as well, both for free for you at freetalklive.com. 
February's winner of the Lysander Spooner Award, Radicals for Capitalism, a freewheeling history of the modern American libertarian movement by Brian Doherty, outlines both the history of libertarianism and its true influence yet to come. Check out this and many other books and videos on liberty at lfb.com. That's laissez-faire books, lfb.com. You know, Mark, we've done a lot of shows in the history of Free Talk Live in the over four years that this show has been on the air. I can only imagine how many. We've probably talked about the war on drugs a decent percentage of the time. It's uh, definitely one of my pet issues. And I'm just trying to recall, have we ever had someone call in and take an anti-marijuana position? Anti-marijuana? Well, we've had people anti-drug. and then Yeah, but we've had they, anti-drug. They're inclusive on with that. Yeah, I suppose. But I, I don't really actually recall anybody. Normally when we talk about drug legalization, people will concede the marijuana issue. They'll say, oh, yeah, I can understand. I could see the marijuana thing. A lot of people can see it. it that's true. But I just wonder, just wonder if you remember anybody ever calling in to say, no, we can't legalize marijuana. I would say that it's um, an evil plant, especially when it comes to medical marijuana. You've got 85 percent, some some number very high like that um, of people in America believe that marijuana should be legal for medicinal purposes. And I'd say that other 15 percent are probably government bureaucrats and black marketeers that uh, would like to see it illegal yeah. for their own personal um, gain. And, you know, this just goes to show you can't build a government bureaucracy without a lot of trouble tearing it back down. And. And we just don't need this. Sure. I mean, look at the prison situation. Look at the huge number of people in government prisons, state, and lo- state, local, federal, that are in there for pot crimes, for having a joint in their ashtray, that sort of thing, uh, for selling a little bit of marijuana. Yep. Uh, look at this. Just a t- tremendous number of people that are in prison for that. And I actually heard Sheriff Joe... Sheriff Joe Arpaio from Maricopa County, Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, I heard him on the radio this morning and just spouting off his usual crap about being the toughest the toughest sheriff in America, blah, blah, I'm a rootin', tootin', straight shooting sheriff. And so this is a guy who, he makes so many arrests that instead of letting anybody out of his jails, he just puts up tents <laughs> in the desert. Wow. Yep, that's puts, what he does. Yep, he puts up tents and barbed wire or something like that, and he, he essentially is keeping prisoners outside. Yeah, they're camping. Yeah, the camping style, huge tents. And <laughs> it's just like, you know, I, okay, he's not getting millions of dollars to build new prisons, that much is true, and so he positions himself as this fiscally responsible sheriff, right? Because, well, I'm building these tents, and they only cost $150,000 compared to $10 million for a new prison, or whatever. I'm just pulling out And numbers. how many communities across America are struggling with um, incarceration rates right now? You know, what are we, we need to build a new jail. Well, what if you just didn't arrest people for marijuana possession. Yeah, that'd go a long way. How about we just not arrest people for drug possession, period? Let's I'm for throw that. In prostitutes as well. I'm for that, but, you know, I, I can, you know, let's start with this. Let's yes. start with marijuana possession. But that's just it. They already have their prisons, and they know that if they don't have as many people in those prisons, their budgets are going to go down. And so they've got a built-in incentive to fight against this. Right, you know, th- and it's not like they're taking their own money when it comes to, uh, you know, the, the the police that are the the uh, bureaucrats that are in charge of the prison um, little section, and they need to get money. They need to get it from the general fund. Mm-hmm. Um, the politicians that control the general fund, well, it's not their money either. It's all taxpayers' money. And if they use up all the money, well, 
They'll just go ask for more. They'll put a, you know, they'll, they'll vote, they'll vote in a larger tax increase, so they'll ask the public for a larger tax increase. They'll, they'll trot out the in kids. In many cases, they don't even have to ask. Right. They'll trot out the kids and say, "We need it for our kids." And in fact, I'm pretty sure just ar- like that around here, they just approved a new jail. They didn't ask anybody on that. Yeah. And what I want to know is if they didn't arrest anyone for marijuana in Keene, for example, where we live, which is a really small town, who would they arrest? Who would they fill the new jail with? Wow, is yeah, there right. That many much violent crime? crime criminals in in Keene, New Hampshire. I can't imagine there's too many. I think that I mean, whenever this, this area is so small that whenever something does happen, you hear about it. Right. I mean, people normally talk about the weather and that sort of thing. So if somebody robs a store, and I remember it was a few weeks after we'd gotten here that somebody did actually rob one of the stores here, and we caught wind of it. And there was also something with a, a college kid or something of that sort. Was it flashing somebody or exposing themselves to somebody? And everyone talked about that for a while. Well, yeah, I think there's, there's the occasional case of a college kid peeing on someone's front lawn. Yeah, that's, that's a bad idea. Right. Uh, but, yeah, that's an excellent question. What on earth would the police arrest people for? The occasional drunken disorderly? Uh, maybe domestic abuse? But really, I mean, they'd actually have to protect people and do their jobs. They'd actually have to well, there wouldn't be, be on the as lookout much, for real crime. There wouldn't be as much work to be done. We could cut some jobs, couldn't we? Well, that's what they're concerned with, is they've grown the jobs in order mm. to stop to, to stop the drugs. Right, they and have now, the they're war on drugs. now they're owed their jobs forever and, and ever, you know, well, plus they, a pension. But they failed. We have more drugs than ever. The police failed in their war on drugs. And, of course, they use it as an excuse to continue the war. Well, the, the drug's still on the streets. We need to keep cracking down. It's just insanity. That it is. Do you support the war on drugs? Love to hear from you. Maybe you could convince me onto your side. Well, probably not, but it's possible. I'm I'm convincible. 800-259-9231. As we shift gears into some territory we don't normally cover here on Free Talk Live. We don't normally talk about conspiracy theories. Okay. But uh, Interesting. Yeah, I think you might find this one interesting. From Websurdity. The article inspired by fine users at the James Randi Educational Foundation Forum, to whom I'm indebted for the use of much of this material. We've all heard the official conspiracy theory of the Death Star attack. We all know about Luke Skywalker and his ragtag bunch of rebels and how they mounted a foolhardy attack on the most powerful, well-defended battle station ever built. And we've all seen the video over and over and over of the one-in-a-million shot that resulted in a massive chain reaction that not just damaged but completely obliterated that massive technological wonder. Now, you might see some parallels in this. They're sort of making fun of certain conspiracy theorists. Like many Americans, I was fed this story as I was growing up. But as I watched the video, I began to realize that all was not as it seemed. And the more I questioned the official story, the deeper into the rabbit hole I went. (laughs) Presented here are some of the results of my soul-searching regarding this painful event. Like many citizens, I have many questions that uh, that I'd like answered. Was the mighty imperial government really too incompetent to prevent a handful of untrained nerf herders from destroying one of their most prized assets? Whoever wrote this, it's sheer genius. Or? The nerf herders, I love that. Are they hiding something from us? Who was really behind the attack, and why did they want the Death Star destroyed? No matter what the answers, we have a problem. Below is a summary of my book, Uncomfortable Questions, and Analysis of the Death Star Attack, which presents compelling evidence that we might all be victims of a fraud of immense proportions. Number one, why were a handful of rebel fighters able to penetrate the defenses of battle station that had the capability of destroying an entire planet 
and the defenses to ward off several fleets of battleships. Number two, why did Grand Moff Tarkin refuse to deploy the station's large fleet of TIE fighters until it was too late? Was he acting on orders from someone not to shoot down the rebel attack force? If so, who and why? Well, Grand Moff, Moff Tarkin did pay for, his, pay for it with his life. Number three, why was the rebel pilot who supposedly destroyed the Death Star reported to be on the Death Star days, maybe hours prior to its destruction? Mm, why was he allowed with a to escape? Why was he allowed to escape? And why were several individuals dressed in stormtrooper uniforms seen helping him? Number four, why has there not been an investigation into the allegations that Darth Vader, the second-ranking member of the Imperial government, is in fact the father of the pilot who allegedly destroyed the Death Star? Mm. Number five. Why it's, did it's a compelling case this man's making? Why did Lord Vader? It's just he's just asking questions, okay? I, I, it's making a compelling case. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. You can buy his book for nineteen ninety nine. We'll uh, give you a few more points on the way. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. And you can bring up whatever's on your mind, whether it's serious or fun. Anything goes. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. Take control of the airwaves. Toll free eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. That is the packet eight dot net toll free line. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring us anything toll free. 800-259-9231. That is the packet 8.net toll free line for you. Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. Join us online, freetalklive.com. All the features there are totally free, though we do ask that you voluntarily support the show by buying some stuff from amazon.freetalklive.com. 40 categories of products. Lots of different stuff that you can purchase. Everything from books to office products to sporting goods, accessories, clothing. It's all there. Groceries even now. Amazon.freetalklive.com. When you purchase through that link, Free Talk Live will get a percentage of your purchase. So it's a great way to get your shopping done, get the stuff you need delivered to your door. You don't even have to do more than lifting a few, uh, lift a few fingers to get it done. So well, you'll eventually have to pick up the box when UPS or FedEx or whatever leaves it on your front door. But... Beyond that. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty happy when I get boxes from uh, UPS or it's FedEx. It's fun to open boxes. It is. Like Christmas. Yeah, except more fun. Uh, <laughs> and anyway. you paid for it. Yeah. Uh, so Amazon.freetalklive.com, and you can buy Free Talk Live branded merchandise from store.freetalklive.com. We've got shirts. We've got hats. We've got DVD classic archive collector sets and more. It's all there for you. Store.freetalklive.com. So back to uh, the conspiracy theory about the Death Star. It's a summary of uh, the book Uncomfortable Questions and Analysis of the Death Star Attack from WebSurdity.com. And he's sort of going through some, uh, some interesting points, some questions that need to be asked about this whole Death Star explosion. Because, I mean, how could this possibly be that one band of rebel fighters and one man among them could possibly take out this weapon of destruction and doom? I, you know, I, we all just believed the uh, the story that we were given, and we had no reason to to think in, um, elsewise. But there's a lot of interesting points that are being brought up here. I'd say it was the story we've all been fed. Number five: Why did Lord Vader decide to break all protocols and personally pilot a lightly armored Tie fighter? Conveniently, this placed Lord Vader outside of the Death Star when it was destroyed, hmm. where he was also conveniently able to escape from a large-sized rebel fleet that had just routed the Imperial forces. Why would Lord Vader, one of the highest-ranking members of the Imperial government, suddenly decide to fly away from the Death Star in the middle of a battle? Did he know something that the rest of the Imperial Navy didn't? Number six. 
How could any pilot shoot a missile into a two-meter-wide exhaust port, let alone a pilot with no formal training, one whose only claim to fame was his ability to, uh, his ability to bullseye womp rats on Tatooine? This shot, according to one pilot, would be impossible even for a computer. Yet according to additional evidence, the pilot who allegedly fired the missile turned off his targeting computer when he was supposedly firing the shot that destroyed the Death Star. Why have these discrepancies never been investigated, let alone explained? I call for a blue ribbon panel. We need people to look into this. What he's failed to mention is this ragtag bunch. You know, this this could the rabbit hole could go very deep here. This the ragtag bunch didn't survive either. Simply, Just the one. Right. Oh, well, well, there's no, that other guy, too. Biggs. Yeah. I, I say he, um, Luke Skywalker and Biggs in cahoots. Hmm. Biggs, all three movies. Was that his name, Biggs? B-I-G. I think it was something else. Oh, man. started with a W, I think. I, you know, I may not be the preeminent Star Wars expert here, but I believe He's definitely more name. of a Star Wars geek than I am. Yeah. Well, I'm Certainly older. Certainly more than me. <laughs> I've, seen the, I've seen Star Wars... Uh, I, I don't know how, what you the earliest made movie. It's hard to describe them because the a new hope the earliest made. Okay, Star Wars: A New Hope. That's the one I've seen the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other two that came after that I haven't seen very often at all. Those were better than the first one too, or A New Hope. They were better than A New Hope. Re- were they? Yeah. Okay. Um, and then Biggs. And the, really? Huh. Okay. And then uh, there was the the other one, The Phantom Menace, which was terrible. That was a kids movie. Yeah. Then the the one after that was much better. And then the most recent one was pretty darn good as well. Well, the reason it was a kid's movie, I, I have something to say on this issue, <laughs> is uh, Star Wars 1, 2, and 3, you see, um, you see a, you know, in the first movie, a, a sort of childish, uh, fun movie um, that stars a child. And then you see a, um, in the second one, you see a, a, a sort of petulant adolescent movie that it stars a petulant adolescent. And, uh, mm. and the, the third is a much darker movie um, that, that, uh, the, the turn the character turns and you know you see the you see you watch it all happen. I think that each one of the movies are perfect in and of themselves. I liked the third one. It was it was certainly an appropriate progression. I see where you're coming from on that, but nonetheless, Jar Jar Binks sure as hell ruined that first movie. Yes. Number seven. There are two more points. Why has there been no investigation into the evidence that the droids who provided the rebels with the Death Star plans were once owned by none other than Lord Vader himself? and were found conveniently by the pilot who destroyed the Death, uh, the Death Star and who is also believed to be Lord Vader's son. Evidence also shows that uh, the droids were brought to one Ben Kenobi, who, records indicate, was Darth Vader's teacher many years earlier. Are all these personal connections between the conspirators and a key figure in the Imperial government supposed to be a coincidence? Number eight. How could a single missile destroy a battle station? I think these, uh, you know, somebody needs to be brought to justice on this. <laughs> Yeah, but how can you expect the imperial government to bring themselves to justice, Mark? Come on. How could a single missile destroy a battle station? At this station? point, they're not, they're, they're not even able to. I mean, the imperial government, uh, you know, dissolved after the uh, sixth movie, pr- pretty much. I Did mean, they? pretty much out of pretty much out of commission. Did you read the books after that? Were there, uh, weren't there books that took place? There was read, a lot of books. I've read there? some of the books, and that's really it. Is there's so many books? They're so contradictory um, mm-hmm. that you know, it, it just there's just so much stuff. How could a single missile destroy a battle station the size of a moon? No records anywhere show that any battle station or capital ship has ever been destroyed by a single missile. Furthermore, analysis of the tape of the last moments of the Death Star show numerous small explosions along its surface prior to it exploding completely. 
Why does all evidence indicate that strategically placed explosives, not a single missile, is that uh, is what destroyed the Death Star? From Websurdity.com. Very cute. 1-800-259-9231. That is the toll-free number. Some of our listeners are getting upset that we're not being serious enough on Free Talk Live. We need to be more serious all the time. We, on a regular basis, we take Friday night off and do, um, you know, half uh, absurd stories, half funny stories, and um, we do half serious stories. Yeah, we don't always have to be serious on this show. In fact, I like things that are fun. I, I would have to agree. You know, here's here's a news story that uh, here's serious for you. Police arrest a seven-year-old boy, handcuff him, oh and haul him goodness. down to the station house on a charge of riding a motorized bike on on a sidewalk. That is serious. What? 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 I don't know if I'd call it serious. I mean, it doesn't well, really serious to that seven-year-old. It, it is to him. Then, according to his mother, uh, Gerard Mungo Jr. was handcuffed to a bench and interrogated before being released to his parents. Handcuffed a little boy to a bench. Wow. That's terrible. They did. They scared me, said Gerard. The, um, the, uh, <laughs> that's what he told the <laughs> Baltimore Examiner before breaking down into tears. Aww. Mayor Sheila Dixon apologized Friday for the arrest. The police commissioner, Leonard Ham, said it would be investigated internally. The arrest came after... Yes, I'll investigate this, but of course they won't do anything about it. The arrest came after an officer saw Gerard riding his dirt bike on a sidewalk in East Baltimore on Tuesday. Police spokesman uh, Jat, uh, Matt uh, Jablo said, Ham, citing the uh, internal probe, declined to discuss how the rest of the incident unfolded. Doesn't have to. You know, we've got an internal probe going on. Yep. Sorry. That's say. enough. What do you want more? What do you want more from us? Kikisha. We're probing. Kikisha, Kikisha Dinkins said that her son was sitting on the bike with the motor off on the sidewalk when an officer grabbed him by the collar and pulled him off. I told him to let go of my baby, Dinkins said. Since when do you pull a seven-year-old child by his neck and drag him around? Dinkins said she called for a police supervisor to intervene, but the confrontation continued to escalate after the supervisor arrived. Really? They started yelling at him. Do you know what you did wrong, son? Dinkins said. He was so scared, he ran upstairs. Police He's arre- lucky they didn't tackle him or taser him. <laughs> police arrested Gerard and confiscated the bike. Dinkins said officers fingerprinted him. Took his mug shot. Ham could not confirm that and said that those actions would not have been normal in police procedure in a non-felony case. Dinkins said the arrest scared her son. This has changed his life, sure it she has. said. He'll never be the same. He sure as hell won't look at police the same way. I can no. guarantee that. Yeah, I mean, uh, are these, the, are these the, the officers that he should be waving to? A seven-year-old. Try to imagine what life was like for you when you were seven. It's hard to. My my big concern was staying upright on a bicycle. Mm -hmm. Ham said that the officer had the option of taking, um, talking with a parent or confiscating the bike, and said that although the city is concerned about nuisance dirt bikes, the arrest was not consistent with my philosophy of trying to solve problems in the neighborhoods. The mayor, who appeared uh, Friday with Ham, said that she also planned to look into the case. It's clear to me the arrest was wrong and the officers on the scene should not have arrested the child. And on behalf of the city of Baltimore, I apologize to the boy and his parents. Well, now wait a minute. Is it illegal to ride the uh, the uh, the motorbike on the sidewalk sure or not? I'm sure it is. So why is it that the law isn't being enforced in this case? Why is this mayor apologizing for the the cops just doing their jobs? They're just doing their jobs here. Well, because it's obvious that they're um, that there's a criminal <laughs> riding a bike on the sidewalk, and he needs to be punished. Well, I don't know. It sounds crazy to me. Maybe that's what they'll do if uh, they legalize marijuana: is arrest some seven-year-olds. 
Americans will be so desperate uh, for something to do. I don't know. 800-259-9231. Sad story. More on the way, including a call from Death Star truther Brandon. Coming up in Hour 2. This is Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free. But if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up what you want, toll free. 800-259-9231 as we launch into hour number two. It's Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. And you can join us online, freetalklive.com, the place to go. All the features completely free. Those other radio talk show hosts, they want to charge you for access to their website. We do it for free. freetalklive.com. We start things out by going to a phone call that's not going to make much sense to people just tuning in. But nonetheless, I'm going to take it anyway. Uh, it's Death Star Truther Brandon calling from Japan. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian, Julia, and Mark. Hello, Brandon. Gentlemen, 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 the empire got to you too, huh? <laughs> you think I need to say? Hold on, you're just you're you're referring. And by the way, your uh, your voice over IP connection has been has left a lot to be desired over the past few uh, few calls. I don't know why. I don't know what's changed, but it's very scratchy. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you're referring to an article we read last hour, which was just some brilliant satire. Uh, alleging that the uh, the rebels were not actually the ones who blew up the Death Star. Now, what do you have to say? Well, first of all, I just wanted to say that uh, the fact that you guys don't recognize the obvious truth, that it's the greedy, dirty little Jawa bankers that are controlling this entire operation. You know, I don't know what it is with you, with you, with you truthers and, and this whole Jawa thing. What do you have against Jawas? Well, I'll explain right now for you. Well, first of all, take a look at Jawas. I mean, they walk around in these Oof. brown, heathenist robes, and they form these dark lights in Beggar's Canyon. Yeah, it would have been a great call. It would have been. Thanks yeah, for the call. Appreciate it. Really would have been great. You know? Yeah. And then voiceover IP stuff. We like it, but you can't run your webcam at the same time. I don't know if he was running his webcam, but you got to be careful. If you've got voice over IP, it's a great service. I use it for everything. We use it for our phone lines here in the studio. Mm-hmm. I use it for my business calls during the daytime. But if you are um, if you're doing like an upload to a website, so if you're uploading a video to YouTube at the time or uploading a file to an FTP client or something like that, it will destroy your upstream bandwidth, and you need to have free upstream bandwidth in order to be able to operate voice over IP flawlessly. So, dog on it. 800-259-9231. I'm very sad about that. I'm not being able to hear that. Yeah, he sounded like he was really on to something there. It sounded, yeah, it sounded like he... You know what? It was probably the Jawa bankers that uh, that uh, ruined his call. They they, well, they, they claim that they... Um, you know, the truthers claim that the Jawas control everything. <laughs> so, uh, since we were talking about space, here's an appropriate story. Now, this is in the real world, although it is uh, certainly absurd. San Francisco, Reuters, an asteroid may come uncomfortably close to Earth in 2036. And who do you think they're going to ask to put a stop to this? Uh, Superman. The United Nations. (laughs) (laughs) No, Superman could handle it. (laughs) The United Nations is not going to be able to do anything about an asteroid that's coming at Earth. Yeah, well, that's that's apparently who they're looking to here. Uh, They say that... The uh, United Nations should assume responsibility for a space mission to deflect it. I don't want the United Nations to be in charge of a mission. It's like a guarantee that they'll deflect it towards Earth. If you thought that that government moon missions were expensive enough, 
imagine the United Nations trying to put something together. Uh, apparently, according to a group of astronauts, engineers, and scientists, those are the people that are calling for this, astronomers are monitoring an asteroid named Apophis, which has a 1 in 45,000 chance of striking Earth on April 13th, 2036. 1 in 45,000 chance? Not, that's not bad. I mean, it's, it's a hell of a lot. Yeah, compared to the uh, government's lotto, right. it's pretty good. Although the odds of an impact by this particular asteroid are low, a recent congressional mandate for NASA to upgrade its tracking of near-Earth asteroids is expected to cover uncover hundreds, if not thousands, of threatening space rocks in the near future, former astronaut Rusty Schwenkart said. Now, I, you know what? If if this uh, NASA program actually works out and they can actually uncover these hundreds, if not thousands, of threatening space rocks in the near future, imagine the uh, the industry of scare tactic products, like some of the ones you hear advertised in the breaks on this show. What do you mean? You know, like asteroid protection belt. These like kooky kind of products that you could uh, you could purchase to allegedly protect yourself. You'll need this respirator if an asteroid strikes the Earth. Have it handy. We'll have it. Uh, we'll build you a you know a box you can keep in the back of your car so you could always have your asteroid respirator. I don't know. I'm just coming up with ideas. I'm certainly not uh, creative enough to be one of these product producers, but nonetheless, well, I, I hope they work. I I smell an entire industry of uh, fear-based products. Space-proof food, says our uh, board operator. Although the odds of the impact are very low, uh, quote, it's not just Apophis we're looking at. Every country's at risk. We need a set of general principles to deal with this issue, said the former astronaut. A member of the Apollo 9 crew that orbited the Earth in March 1969 told an American Association for the Advancement of Science conference in San Francisco. Schweikart plans to present an update next week to the U.N. Committee on Peaceful Uses of Outer Space on plans to develop a blueprint for a global response to an asteroid threat. Now, they're talking about peaceful uses of outer space. How do they know this asteroid isn't inhabited by friendly little critters? Now, going to go blow well it up. Be. Yeah. You're going to go blow this thing up without going and investigating, without going and doing a study to make sure that there aren't any peaceful critters on this asteroid. I mean, that would be a terrible, it'd be a terrible tragedy to go and blow that thing up. The association critters of, so cute they make Bambi look ugly. The Association of Space Explorers, a group of former astronauts and cosmonauts, intends to host a series of high-level workshops this year to flesh out the plan and will make formal proposal to the UN in 2009, he said. Schweikart wants to see the United Nations adopt procedures for assessing asteroid threats and deciding if and when to take action. The favorite approach to dealing with a potentially... What, what the hell are they going to do? What, what are they going to do? Really? Can they really send up a missile? Hundreds of miles, I mean thousands of millions of miles. I don't know how, I don't know how far these things are away. This must be very you know, this must be very far away at this point. Are we really gonna, just going to start shooting down space rocks? I, and really, could the UN even accomplish it? I think that if the UN takes it on, they're going to uh, do far more damage than this asteroid could. Schweikart, uh, or the favorite approach to dealing with potentially deadly space rock is to dispatch a spacecraft that would use gravity to alter the asteroid's course so it no longer threatens Earth, said astronaut Ed Liu, a veteran of the International Space Station. The so-called gravity tractor, like uh, like in Star Wars, a tractor beam, mm-hmm. could maintain a position near the threatening asteroid, exerting a gentle tug that, over time, would deflect the asteroid. An asteroid the size of Apophis, which is about 460 feet or 140 meters long, would take about 12 days of gravity tugging, said Lou. Mission costs are estimated at $300 million. 
launching an asteroid which means that it's going to be quadruple that yeah Launching an asteroid deflection mission early would reduce the amount of energy needed to alter its course and increase the chances of a successful outcome, Schweikart said. NASA says the precise effect of a 450-foot object hitting the 460-foot object hitting the Earth would depend on what size or what the asteroid was made of and the angle of impact. Paul Slovic, president of the Oregon-based Decision Research, which studies judgment, decision-making, and risk, uh, risk analysis, said the asteroid could take out an entire city or region. Well, it's assuming destroy. it hits a city. I mean, the, the likelihood of it, the Earth's a huge thing, three quarters of which is covered in water. water. Um, the, the idea that it, it, it may hit land is, you know, I mean, there's a 25% chance that... Right. There are very few cities. So that just quadrupled the numbers of um, it even touching land. Uh, you know, this doesn't, it doesn't seem like a big catastrophe to me. Well, now, if you are in a city where this hits, it could be devastating. It could be uh, a big deal. And... The, the question is, is it worth the money? Is it is it worth the investment? Well, the, the, here's the thing, though, is if this, let's say it uh, hits off the coast of uh, a major city along the, the, the coast of California, mm-hmm. um, you know, not L.A., but yeah, it could be. Just, you know, imagine something like New Orleans. The insurance companies pay out. They're the ones that are responsible for this. Why shouldn't the insurance companies be the ones who go after this asteroid. They should be, which was going to... They're the ones that stand to lose. That was going to be where I went next, is that the question is, is there going to be a worthy return on investment? However, when we're dealing with governments, there is no investment phase. They just take your money. Speaking of governments, I I hope it hits D.C. Oh, yeah, lovely. Uh, They just take your... Except I have some friends there. They just take your money, and then they spend it on whatever the heck they want to, and they spend whatever amounts they want to spend. There's no fiscal responsibility or anything like that. Whereas if it were insurance companies doing this... They might be able to go up and send up this mission. Again, they're estimating $300 million for the, uh, the U.N. space program, which doesn't even exist yet. An insurance company might be able to do it for $30 million, and they'd probably be successful at it. The U.N.'s going to go up there, try to do this little gravitational tractor pull. They'll reverse polarities or something, and then accidentally they'll push it in the wrong direction. I and don't see what? why they couldn't do that. And then what? Are we going to hold someone responsible? Of course not. Nobody's responsible when it comes to government. So please, don't expect them to protect you. Buy yourself an umbrella, an asteroid umbrella, from mm-hmm. asteroidumbrella.com. More on the way. It's Free Talk Live. <laughs> this is Free Talk Live. Your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line for you. And it is Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. You can join us online, freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are entirely free, so do enjoy those. They are on us. Once again, that's freetalklive.com, including live streams, a broadband version of the show, and a dial-up version as well. Both of them waiting for you totally free at freetalklive.com. And do you have a company that needs to try something new in the area of collections? Well, SACL CAI does collections, early out billing. And they purchase charged-off receivables. Sickles employees are trained in resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect. They know that not only do you want to collect your money, but you want to keep your clients, too. Sickles CAI. Check out their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1-800-544-6359. That's 800-544-6359. Do business with businesses that support Free Talk Live. Well, since Brandon called in earlier and his phone call sort of crapped out in the middle of the call, it, I figured it'd be fair to read an email from him that I've been holding on to for a little while. He says, uh, it's no surprise that economics, the minimum wage, and its implications are one of the most misunderstood subjects amongst Americans. 
And you aptly pointed out that a driving factor is because the government schools don't teach about it effectively. The reason I'm writing here is because I want to make the assertion that the government doesn't want to teach American youth about economics for some very simple reasons. Number one, if children were taught about how inflation really works, instead of the government's inflation is where there's too much currency in a market, without any real further elaboration, then those children as adults would understand that a government can print unlimited amounts of money. Uh, the fact that a government can do that is an economic catastrophe waiting to happen. Now, this is an issue that we've discussed to, uh, I would say, a large extent here on Free Talk Live. And it's an issue that will continue to come up again and again. I know, monetary policy, not the most exciting topic. I know, I, it, it's not exciting to me at all. But what I understand, now that I've sort of been learning about it over time and coming to understand it well, or at least somewhat better than I used to, is that this is really critical. That understanding inflation and understanding uh, how the whole government fiat money system works is an amazingly eye-opening exercise. Well, when you think about crime, crimes are only committed for a few reasons. Um, there's crimes of passion, there's sex crimes, and there's crimes that are committed for money. Okay. And the, I would say the vast majority of crimes that are committed, especially violent crimes, are committed for money. Well, what do you mean? Well, they're committed to get money. So, like robbing a bank. Robbing a bank. Robbing uh, someone at gunpoint. Uh, liquor stores, uh, you know, burglaries, all these things. It's they're, true. They're, they're about money. So, you know, issues, financial issues, they need to be looked at seriously. These politicians, they have more control over more money than anybody else in the world. And you don't think that they're capable of criminal activity? Right. Now, with a, with a criminal who accosts you on the street, someone who approaches you as you're walking home from the store or from your job or whatever... They, and they point a gun or a knife at you and say, give me all your money. That's pretty scary. I mean, that's a situation that no one wants to get involved in. It's one of the reasons why a lot of people carry weapons themselves, uh, because they're genuinely frightened of the thuggish criminals on the streets harming them. And no one should have to deal with that, certainly. But there's an interesting difference between what those criminals do and what the criminals that are running the Federal Reserve do. You see... The criminals running the Federal Reserve don't have to point a gun at your face. They don't have to point a knife at you and demand your money. You don't get a choice when it comes to the Federal Reserve as to whether or not you want to pay. Because at least with the criminal, you know, there's a chance that you could, if you're a big guy like you, Mark, you could overpower the guy. You could, know, you could knock okay. the knife. Or if you know jujitsu, you could mm -hmm. use some uh, jujitsu moves and turn the guy's gun around on him. Mm -hmm. you, could, uh, you could change the situation. You could save yourself from being robbed, or you could choose to reach into your pocket and pull out the wallet and give them all the cash. In that case, at least you still have some level of choice. But when it comes to inflation, you can't get away from it. You can't. And the reason why is because it, I actually had an email from somebody, and I didn't, um, I didn't save it, but it was from one of our listeners who was trying to correct us and trying to tell us that there are other ways that inflation happens. And unfortunately, he's just wrong. He was suggesting that by, uh, you know, minimum wage increases and there's other like market based factors that could increase inflation. Not true. No, inflation only is an increase in the money supply. Right. He now, was talking about an increase in prices. Sometimes an increase in the money supply results in an increase in prices and sometimes it doesn't. That's it. 
I mean, usually it does, but there have been times when an increase yeah, in money true. supply has, has not resulted in an increase in well, prices. Well, look at the housing market. It's, it's, on, it's on a tumble now. So, so he was wrong about that. Inflation is nothing more than an increase in the money supply. An increase in prices is a symptom of inflation. And there's only one way that the money supply can increase, and that is the printing of new money. Right. That's what the government does through the Federal Reserve. Now, some people will say, well, the Federal Reserve is a private agency. Okay, I'll give you that. That may be the case. But it was set up with governmental approval. Government uses the Federal Reserve for all sorts of nefarious purposes. They certainly act like they're part of the government. Mainly printing money. Whether it be printing money to uh, to buoy up the federal government or printing money to buy more bombs and guns and planes and, and tanks uh, to send over and bomb people with. Blow up. Right. These are all reasons why the, the printing presses are turned on. So even if they can't possibly tax you, even if, even if you're somebody that doesn't pay income taxes, let's say you're a, a non-participatory individual in, in America. You One don't of pay 60 income, something million? Right. You don't pay income taxes. You, don't, you try your best not to buy gasoline. I mean, you're trying your best not to give any money to the federal government. And you've got $100,000 stashed away underneath your mattress. Well, as they turn on the printing presses and continue to print more and more dollars. As they have since they turned it into a fiat currency in 1913. Right. The money that's stowed underneath your mattress or in your bank account or wherever loses value because there's more money coming into the marketplace, more money chasing fewer goods. Inflation. That's inflation. can't get away from it. Number two, that's what they don't teach you in school. As Brandon's pointing out, if they taught kids this, they'd realize that the government is a huge scam, and then they might actually uh, have some idea of maybe getting rid of it. So they don't tell them this. Number two, if children were effectively taught about compounding interest and what happens when you can't pay back what you borrow, then those children would less be less likely to ramp up their own debt and be less tolerant of government doing so when they become voting adults. I mean, this is another issue that they just don't address in schools. Julia, you were the most recent graduate of government high school. Uh, what was the extent of, of what they taught you in government school? Well, I'm actually not a graduate of government high school. And you spent time there. I spent time there, and I stopped. You got kicked out on a bomb threat or something like that, that right? That is correct. <laughs> not exactly, but sort of. <laughs> bomb threat? It's You're a long story. blow anything up here, are no, you? No, certainly not. Okay. I wasn't going to blow anything up there, but I never actually made it to government economics class. I I stopped going to high school in 10th grade. I didn't learn anything about money, anything about interest at all. Did they did they at least teach you to write a check like they taught me in yeah, government school? Yeah, in uh, Teen Living 1, I think it was. Teen Living? Yes. Did they tell you anything about credit cards? No. They didn't tell me anything about credit cards either. And you'd think that, I mean, you'd think that with the volume of credit card offers that young people begin to get at age 17 and 18, that this would be something that someone would say, hey, maybe we should address this whole credit card debt thing. Nope. Not even a word of it was spoken at at my government school. What about you? What was your education like from the government as far as monetary matters are concerned? 800-259-9231. I'm guessing it was a little bit lackluster. More on the way, your calls as well about whatever's on your mind. This is your show, Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. 
This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up anything toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the packet, 8.net, toll-free line for you. Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features there, entirely free, including the bulletin board system, over 200,000 posts, over 1,500 people interacting, lots to talk about, serious issues, fun stuff. It's all there at bbs.freetalklive.com. So get registered. It's uh, free, bbs.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project, your only choice for more personal freedom and smaller, less intrusive government. To learn more about joining the Second American Revolution, go to freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. We're talking about, uh, well, actually, Brandon from Japan had emailed in a few different points on where he uh, where he thinks the government has majorly dropped the ball. Of course, that's what they do best is screw things up. But we're talking about kids and educating them on financial matters. And his first point was about how government completely ignores inflation. Even in government economics class, they don't really tell the truth about inflation. And we we touched on that. Number two, he points out, that government completely ignores uh, debt. Not just government's debt, which they might mention. I mean, I remember maybe in government class there was maybe a picture in the government book about that sign that keeps track of the national debt, the debt clock. Oh, hey, there's a debt clock. The number's going up. Yeah, there's numbers. The big numbers. That must mean something. You know, they don't really talk about it. But what they really don't talk about is personal debt. They don't talk about that at all. We were just talking about how when we were in high school, all they taught us was how to write a check. Well, I think that uh, some parents educate their kids. Um, uh, as they should. As, as they absolutely Please, should. Please, if you're leaving it to the government, your kids are uh, are in a di- very dangerous path. Right. Uh, you you are the only one who's going to educate your kids on personal economics and how to live their lives in that ar- arena. And if you need help, go to akidsjourney.com. Um, yeah. They may be very, may very well, um, that book you know, may very well be able to be the thing that saves your child from bankruptcy. What uh, what ages would you say Kids Journey should be uh, utilized? I'd say well, like you can read six, it. You six can, or seven. Yeah, I would say somewhere in the six or seven. You can certainly read it to them, um, and on up to probably. You know, I I felt like it was a, it was good for adults, but you know, there's probably better books for adults out there. Um, I recommend Harry Brown's Fail Safe Investing. Fantastic book for adults. It's very short too. It's not very long. Um, I like Charles Gibbons' Wealth Without Risk, but don't follow all of his insurance advice. I don't know that one. Okay. Um, but yes, so we're talking uh, we're talking about debt, and credit card debt has to be one of the major areas where consumers just don't really get it. I think that there are a lot of people who get out of high school and they run across. I know that some sometimes credit card promoters are on college campuses. I don't know if they're actually on high school campuses, but essentially they say, "Hey, sign up for our credit card. We'll give you a free trinket." And then you've got free money, kids. No, they don't tell the kids that. But there seems to be this mentality amongst young people that, hey, just swipe the card. It's like free money. Hey, all you have to do is pay 12 bucks a month, and you've got thousands of dollars you can spend. doesn't work that way. At no, some point it, or another, you've got to pay. Yeah, it, it, exactly right. And kids just don't understand this. Now, uh, Julia, I know that you had a recent sort of uh, situation with uh, with your personal debt. That when you got out of high school, you came across credit cards. And what was your mentality about them back then? I don't even really remember exactly. It was a few years ago. I just, my parents never taught me anything about money growing up ever. They told me to save a couple of times, but they didn't really teach me anything else. And it didn't really hold much weight. And I did manage to save up some money, but I spent most of it on my 
useless college education. And so when it came to buying the necessities of life, I guess, I used credit cards. And I didn't really even rack up that much debt, especially compared to, I mean, it wasn't tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. or anything like that. It was, And I stopped after probably a year, I stopped using credit cards. But it took me almost four years to pay off the credit card debt because... Because I was just paying minimum payments because I didn't think, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. So you didn't even know any better about the the whole minimum payments thing? No, I had I just didn't think about it at and all. And that whole four years, more interest was being added. Correct. Yep. So I think what a lot of, what a lot of, in a lot of cases happens is young people, they get that first credit card and they, all right, I'm, I'm going to go buy a plasma TV and a leather couch and, you know, they're out on their own for the first time. And so they you know, they furnish their houses with their credit card, that sort of thing. And the credit card bill comes due. They've got no training whatsoever on how to deal with this. And so they see that they're looking at the bill. They're trying to understand it. There's all that text in small print on the back. Who wants to read that stuff? Uh, they're, they're trying to understand it, and they see minimum payment. Hey, I understand the boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Kids understand the, the lines. Stay within the lines. You're taught that in school. I get the minimum minimum thing. Minimum. Okay, I can't pay any less than $12 this month or whatever the minimum is. Sounds nice. So we'll I pay that. Why should I pay more? If I pay more, I won't have that much anymore. So I'll pay the 12 and then next month I'll pay 20 or however much it'll be. And so they never really realize that they're being charged through the nose to the tune of what? Many credit cards, 16%? Interest rates? It's high. More in some cases? And, you know, 16 just doesn't sound like that big of a number, but it really, really, really racks up. I work with a lot of college kids, and they'll tell me how much debt they have, not only in school, but as far as credit card debt is concerned, 7,000, 10,000, you know, 6,000. College kids? Yes. $6,000, $7,000 in credit debt. We've heard statistics stunning, uh, that uh, you know that the average college student graduates with seven thousand dollars in credit card debt. You know what I'd like to see? I, I love these statistics, and I, I want somebody to pull them up if if possible. Maybe go to Wikipedia and look up credit card debt or something, because the average American household, the amount of credit card debt they have, is absolutely stunning. I mean, the, this whole country is so dramatically in debt; it is absolutely insane. What's going on here? And to to get out of college with seven thousand dollars in credit card debt's one thing. Many kids are graduating college with thousands more in college debt as well. My friend, one of my friends, is not even out of college yet, and she told me she has thirty thousand dollars in in debt in school wow. loans. Wow, that's I mean that's what are those payments like? How many years? I I know a house loan's thirty years. How many years do they give you on a college loan? My dad is still paying his off. It's a long time. I couldn't tell you how long. I mean, it's it's probably a lifetime. 1-800-259-9231. I want to hear from you, your stories about how you discovered the world of debt. Did you discover it too late? And if so, what did you do to uh, to get out of it? Because if you're in debt, that's that should be really one of your primary primary modes in life is getting the heck out. It says the uh, United States that there's uh, 735 billion dollars in credit card debt. Oh my gosh, there are only 300 million people living here. Yeah, That's and not all of, of them can have credit cards. That's true, and there's do a, have credit cards. Only a certain number do, and uh, only a certain. Per- I wonder of the people with credit cards, how, what's the percentage of any given number of people with credit cards? Of a hundred people with credit cards, how many of the hundred make their payments on time? <laughs> 
Not their minimum payments. I mean full payments. How many of the hundred? That would be interesting to me as well. 800-259-9231. Brandon says, if children were effectively thought in point number three about costs passed to the consumer and shown how all costs, including taxes, are passed to the consumer, then those children would be less likely to support it when the government imposes unnecessary costs on businesses, including the minimum wage. And he's, he's right about that as well. When people hear the government clamoring about how they're, we're going to tax those businesses those evil corporations, we're going to create a new corporate tax. People don't make the connection. They don't realize that a corporation, if it gets a new tax, is just going to raise its prices. And if that corporation provides something that you have to buy, say oil, mm. then it's going to be passed on to you. You betcha. Number th- uh, he says the point is that because of government indoctrination, many Americans have come to the thinking that spending more money than you have it is okay. After all, I can just declare bankruptcy. And that's reflected in the statistic that the average American spends 104% of their income per year as of 2005. It really is true that Americans spend to their income levels and then some. And it's bad policy, really bad fiscal policy, because a lot of people have this mentality that they're owed their jobs and that they're, you know, even if they're loved and, and, and admired at their jobs, that they'll have it next week. And that's not necessarily true. No, it's not. And if you don't have your job next week, you're expecting that paycheck to come in. You've gone out on a limb and bought things on credit, expecting to have paychecks that you aren't going to be able to pay off and you're going to get even deeper into debt. And it's going to be even more difficult to climb out. Your debt stories if you've got them. 800-259-9231. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up anything toll-free at 800-259-9231. The packet 8.net toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features there are completely free, and uh, so do enjoy those. They are on us. Once again, freetalklive.com. Though we do ask you voluntarily support the show by amping. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com to become a Free Talk Live amplifier. It stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. The concept is very simple. Uh, over 350 of our listeners have decided that this is worth their while. So they've decided to give us three bucks a month. That's all we're asking for, three bucks a month. And what we can do with that money is we take it in and we turn it around into advertising, marketing, and promoting Free Talk Live. We do things like buying uh, Internet advertising to get more Internet listeners on board. We buy radio industry advertising like in Talkers Magazine to get more radio stations on board. We just hired a new affiliate relations guy this week, Hakeem Draper, who's uh, doing a fantastic job already. Um, calling radio stations to get more radio stations on board and thereby spreading the message of freedom and liberty. There are other things we're doing with the money. You can take a look at the the laundry list of the various different things at amp.freetalklive.com. It's all there for you, and it uh, makes a big difference for us. It really does. We wouldn't be where we are today were it not for our Free Talk Live amplifiers. Yeah, we don't take any of the money for ourselves. Do nope. we? It doesn't go to, go to pay our bills or any th- special company parties or anything like that. It's all for advertising, marketing, promoting free talk. Well, it pays certain bills that help advertise, market, yeah. and promote, like the Google uh, AdWords bill. And that gets paid by them. It, it's not paying my power bill. That's what you mean. 800-259-9231. So head over to amp.freetalklive.com. I want to hear from you if you've got a debt story. Maybe, uh, maybe you've gotten out of debt successfully and you want to share your strategy as to what you did to, uh, to do that. Because we're talking about Americans and debt. And credit cards specifically. And what started all this was Brandon's email from Japan talking about how, well, government doesn't want to teach kids about debt. 
Government doesn't want to teach kids about inflation. It doesn't want to teach kids about how costs are passed on to consumer because then it might realize, then kids might figure out that government is bad news. Yeah, that they're you know spending their money poorly. Right, the government is fiscally irresponsible, and uh, Brandon says it's just another example of how the government doesn't uh, doesn't educate, but rather indoctrinates and conditions those in the system to behave a certain way economically. That is, to spend as much money as possible, savings is bad for the economy, and to accept how the government behaves economically as perfectly acceptable, necessary, and somehow, some way, actually sensible. When in fact, the way the government operates fiscally is absolutely insane and dangerous. It's dangerous to all of us, as a matter of fact. And we all have to pay for it. We're essentially responsible for this. If right. you don't pay for it, you're going to jail for not paying your taxes. Well, eventually the uh, the, the piper is going to come calling. Uh, eventually, time's going to run out on this government fiat money system. Now, there have been certain certain evidence that you could look to recently that might make suggestions that this is coming sooner rather than later. The housing market's in really bad shape right now. And uh, there are people dumping properties everywhere. I'm one of them. I'm trying to sell my house down in Sarasota, Florida. You're in the market, too. Mm-hmm. I'd how, like to sell mine. How long has yours been on the market now? Mm, let's see. May. So almost a year, then. Yeah, going on a year. And any offers recently? None at all. You're going to have to lower your price if you want to get one, I bet. Yeah, I, actually, I've had one offer, um, and that's a guy who wants to do rent-to-own, and I'm looking at yeah, doing get that. Get out. You're, you're going to do it. I'm looking at it. So it's either that or take a thirty percent hit. So I've already got, I've gotten, I'm now about ready to list my house officially. I've sort of been trying to sell it to friends and sort of offering it up to our listeners just to see if anybody would bite without hiring a real estate agent. But I've signed the paperwork as of uh, as of today, so my house is going on the market as well. And he looked at uh, some of the other houses in the area, and this is Sarasota, Florida. We're talking about this is one of the wealthiest areas of the country, and the housing market. Um, used to be really great. It used to go up and up and up, and now it's going the other direction. Right. Um, in fact, I think there's been a, like a 30% drop over the last two years. What's he think you're going to get? He doesn't uh, He doesn't think I'm going to get what I originally wanted to, which was I originally priced it at 260 yeah, I've well, dropped you're the definitely price to two, that. I've dropped the uh, price to 220 at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's probably likely that I'll have to take an offer at that point. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's just, it's it's tough. And this is one of those things that, you know, people are having their houses foreclosed on. And the unfortunate thing is the people that took uh, home equity loans when their house was at 260. Imagine if you had taken a 100% home equity loan when your house was at 260 at one of these uh, variable um, arms that, that are out there. You what does that be, mean, a 100% uh, equity loan? What's that mean? You would have taken the rest of the equity out of your home. You would have owned none of it. The bank so, would have owned all of it. So if I paid, paid 100000 off of the – let's you're saying I paid 260 originally um, – or you would be getting a loan for the difference between what you owe, and you don't owe anything on that house. I know that you own it, okay. right? Um, but you would be taking a loan for two hundred and sixty thousand dollars, right? Okay. And um, that, so that's what you'd get. You'd get two sixty, the hundred percent value of the home. Mm-hmm. You say my house is worth two sixty. The bank takes your word for it. They do a um, they they get a property inspector out there. He says eh, two sixty. Then you get that two sixty out, and you. Spend it on Escalades and cocaine and strippers, right? Sure. Whatever it's it gone. is, it's gone. Um, but you have to pay monthly um, for that, uh, you know, Alone. for that payment. So then the house goes down to two twenty. Mm-hmm. Where's your, you know, forty thousand dollars is essentially you. You've got nothing. You can't even. You've got nothing for it. 
It's gone. Yeah. And then you may say, you know, I owe 260 on a house that's worth 220 I think I'll just let the bank repossess it. Then your credit's shot. But the bank, you know, this is what's happening to all these you banks. You have to pay back that, that loan. Mm, you wouldn't. No. You don't? Not you can just you take that declare, 260 and Not run? if you declare bankruptcy. Oh, I see. Um, and then the bank just, you know, they, they foreclose on it. They got, they, you know, this is what's happening all over the, in the uh, secondary housing market. Banks are taking big hits on uh, homes. Yeah, it's a mess. Let's go to the phones and talk to John in Texas. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian, Julia, and Mark. Hey, John. Hey, folks. How y'all doing? Great. What's on your mind? Uh, I want people to consider this uh, on your unsecured credit card accounts. If requested in writing, the banks are unable to provide the following. The validation of the debt, that is the actual accounting. The verification of their claim against you, that is a sworn affidavit or even just a signed invoice. And third, a copy of the contract binding both parties. Now, the banks can't validate the debt because they never sustained a loss. They can't verify any claim because... Now, why can't, now hold on. The, Didn't they pay the, these merchants um, for their, for their uh, products? I'm not going to answer a question. I'm going I'm to tell you what I did, and folks can run with that if they want. Now, they okay. can't produce a copy of the contract because, no, because one does not exist. What exists is an unenforceable unilateral contract. What the banks refer to as your contract with us is not a valid bilateral agreement since the four requirements of a lawful binding contract were not met on the credit card application. Namely, I'm almost finished, number one, full disclosure. You were not told that, that the, creating the credit was being done with your signature. There was no full disclosure. Number two, equal consideration. They bring nothing to the table, hence they have nothing to lose. Number three, lawful terms and conditions. Those are based on fraud, as we all know. And number four, signature of the parties. Corporations can't sign because they can't contract. They are legal fictions. Now, does any of this work if you put it to the test? Yes, sir, it does, because I did, and I, I am no longer $25,000 in debt. So you're saying that you um, got a bunch of credit cards, charged them up, got a bunch of products and services from people, and then just uh, it used some sort of legal mumbo-jumbo to, to get out of this? That's not what I'm saying at all. That's what you're saying. What I'm saying is that I found myself in a world of deep, deep debt, uh -huh. and I searched for legal recourse. I found legal recourse because there is n the four elements needed to meet to, defi to define a legal contract. So how did, you get, how did you go through the process of uh, getting all this debt just waived? How did that happen? There is a process that you file. It's called an administrative remedy. And it is a matter of, uh, it is a matter of letters back and forth between the banks, letting them know that you did not disclose this, 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 this. What has this, this done to your credit? Initially, it, it rankles it. But it clears after about four to six months, and there's things you have to do. You have to check your credit bureau, make sure it's been cleared. If it hasn't, dispute it, get it cleared, because mm -hmm. if they don't clear it, they're in violation of federal law. I see where you're coming from. It sounds to me like you're, you're, you're suggesting that people be essentially dishonest, that they, go dishonest. Out, that they go out and, and charge up a bunch of products and services and then not pay for them. That's what you're telling people to that do. Is right? what you, that is, that's the second time you've put those words into my mouth. I will say it again. 
when you find yourself... No, no, you won't. Thanks for the call. No, 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 don't. 800-259-9231. That's, uh, you know, that sounds a little bit risky to me. It sounds a little bit questionable. Well, I know what I've he's been hearing about. about it for years. Yeah. Um, you know, it. if everybody did it, um, the fiat currency system would probably collapse and people would be damaged by that. And, I, you know, it just it seems like a bad thing to do. More on the way, 800-259-9231. Hour 3 is coming up. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line for you. It's Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. And you can join us online at freetalklive.com. All of the features there are completely free. Once again, freetalklive.com. We just got off the phone with a guy named John in Texas. And we were talking in the last part of the hour, in hour number two, about credit card debt and the problem that a lot of Americans have as far as Nobody was ever, a lot of people were not taught about credit card debt or not taught about just debt in general in school. Their parents didn't bother teaching them because they figured schools would. They didn't. And so people grow up not knowing anything about this. And inevitably they get into debt. And I've got a little bit more about debt here in a moment, but I wanted to focus back on uh, what this gentleman got on the air and claimed. He essentially came on the air and claimed that he at one time had $25,000 in credit card debt and that through uh, some sort of obscure process that he didn't really describe... Letters going between him and the banks. Right. Um, that he managed to just have it all wiped out. I've, and I've heard these claims before. I've heard the claims before as well. And he based his uh, claims on the idea that, well, you didn't actually enter into a contract with another person. You entered in... There, there's this... The agreement was with a credit card company, a corporation, which is a legal fiction... Uh-huh. And, uh, well, I get a, I get my power from a legal fiction. I get my water from a legal fiction. I'm ruled my, by my city government by a le- I bet legal he fiction. Would, I bet he would claim that you could also um, get the, your power bill paid in this fashion as okay. well. Um, so he claimed that all of the uh, the elements, the four elements of a contract, were not present in your agreement with the credit card company. Therefore, he was claiming that you essentially can go and get a credit card, charge up a bunch of stuff, and then just have it all disappear. And this reminded me of something that I had looked into a couple years ago that was called – it's a, this process that people like John believe in, and some of them claim to have done it. I don't know if it's really true or not, though. I'm not sure. I didn't know if he was going to try and push a website later. We didn't let him get to it. But there's this process out there called redemption, and it's something that is sort of uh, propagated throughout the so-called patriot community. And the idea is that if you – if you know these special legal sort of commands, these different things that you can do legally, supposedly, you can just have debt wiped out. You can just have it just disappear. You can go and get plasma TVs and all sorts of products and services and just poof, make That's, it all go away. That part certainly doesn't seem very nice, um, you know, using the credit card company's money to go out and buy whatever the heck you want and then not paying for it. Right. The vendors are getting paid. You know, that much is true. Mm-hmm. So the the businesses that you're 
buying these things at are getting paid from the credit card company. It's the credit card company that's not able to recoup those costs. Well, they they what he claimed if um, it's true he claimed that uh, they make the money essentially because uh, you asked to borrow the money that that money was made out of thin air. Um, I don't know whether the government makes it, whether they make it, or how it's all done, but uh, I've heard that same claim before. It doesn't seem like uh, seem like the way money's made to me, but okay. So I just wanted to sort of rebut that idea and suggest that if you go and look into this, it sounds interesting on its face, but it's really just it's it it's a way to scam a system, and I don't even know if it works. I mean, this guy calls in claiming he's done it, claiming that he thinks it works. Well, if that were true, then I'm sure more people would actually be doing this, and they'd all of a sudden you know start making you sign agreements before you get your credit card, and I'm pretty sure this would be shut down. It seems to me that if you want to get yourself targeted by some government agency, that going through the redemption process is a good way to do it. If you want to get yourself on a list, if you want uh, attention to be brought to you, then go ahead and get a credit card, charge up a bunch of crap, and try to go through this redemption process and see what happens. Seems a little risky to me. 1-800-259-9231. And I'm sure that eventually, had we let him go long enough, he would have had some website to point us to which would, of course, have uh, a CD-ROM or something for sale for $650. Sounds right. That you could buy, and then you could learn all of the secrets of the redemption process. That's how this works. When you find this information online, you have to sign up for some sort of uh, $1,000 class or something like that, so you can learn what their scam is. 800-259-9231. Anyway, Liz Weston at uh, Money Central MSN. We were talking about all the credit card debt that people have when they get out of college and that sort of thing. And Ms. Weston is going to try to rebut some of this conventional wisdom. She says, you've probably heard that the average American carries more than $8,000 in credit card debt. It's a figure frequently cited by politicians, journalists, and pundits as a sure sign of impending economic collapse. They argue that consumers already struggling under this massive burden of debt soon will have to stop spending like drunken sailors. The economic recovery, therefore, is doomed. The surprising thing about this statistic is that it's so widely known, rather... Rather, isn't that it's so widely known that it is, the stati- it is that the statistic paints a picture that's just plain wrong. She says that in reality, most Americans owe nothing to credit card companies. Most households that carry balances owe $2,000 or less. Only one in 20 American households owes $8,000 or more on credit cards. Somebody owes a lot of jack to credit card companies then. These figures are from the Federal Reserve's 2001 Survey of Consumer Finances one of the most comprehensive assessments of what Americans own and owe. Of course, since it's from the Federal Reserve, I take it with a grain of salt. But nonetheless, let's presume that the numbers are accurate and go on. She says a number of uh, summary of 2004's results will be published in early 2006. So this is from, uh, again, 2001. Most of the people citing the $8,000 credit card figure credit it to CardWeb.com, a service that tracks credit card trends. CardWeb, however, doesn't contend that the average American owes more than $8,000 on cards. Their statistics show that the average debt per American household with at least one credit card was $8,940 in 2002, the last year for which figures are available. So even if all that debt's not on credit cards, as she's pointing out here, that's still a significant amount of debt. I mean, $10,000, wherever it is, whether it's in a car loan or a credit card or, or wherever, is pretty significant. You know, a car loan's a, it, it, a a car is a depreciating asset, yeah. and you should get by with the cheapest car you can. I agree completely. 
To get that number, CardWeb simply divided the total outstanding credit card debt at the end of 2002, that is $750.9 billion, by the 84 million American households that it says have at least one credit card. Now, by CardWeb's measure and definition, the average debt in households with at least one credit card is growing. Consider what would happen if you and 17 of your friends and, and family were in a room with Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. The average net worth of a person in that room would be north of $4 billion. The fact that everybody else's personal net worth was just 100000 or $1 million or even $10 million wouldn't affect the average that much because the big boys are so much wealthier than you. In much the same way, a relatively small population with huge credit card balances can skew the average to make it look like the typical American is carrying a much bigger debt load than he or she actually is. Consider that 23.8% of American households have no credit cards at all, no bank cards, no retail cards, nothing. Another 31.2% of the households in the Fed, surveyed, uh, the Fed surveyed paid off their most recent credit card bills in full. So together, the households that owed nothing on credit cards equaled 55% of the total. Here's some better news. Paying off balances actually became more common between 1998 and 2001. The proportion of households that had bank cards, like Visa and MasterCard, who reported that they regularly paid off their balances in full rose 1.5 percentage points to 55.3%. Of the households that did carry a balance, the median amount owed was only $1,900. That means half of the households with a balance owed more, more and half, and half owed, owed less. less. As she points out, medians are less subject to the skewing phenomenon that plagues averages. That's why economists tend to favor them. Now, nonetheless, let's still look at this number, $1,900, the median amount of credit, car, uh, credit card debt. And again, she says that most American households don't even have um, this debt. So we're talking about 45% of American households that have... I thought the have, number was 28% that didn't have any debt. 28% uh, have no credit cards at all. Another 31% pay off their bills in full. My mistake. So you're looking at 45% of the households that have this debt. Median number, $1,900. Doesn't seem so like a lot. that's of the ones that do have debt. Median, that's correct. Okay. The median, the median number sounds like it would be zero. <laughs> That's just credit card debt? That's just credit card debt. So it doesn't include cars or houses or anything else. Or school. Uh, But $1,900. Now, uh, Julia, I think that when you had uh, racked up some of your debt, you were probably around that amount, if not more. It takes a while paying minimum payments off to pay off $1,900. Oh, yes. It doesn't seem like a lot of money, but to people that are struggling, to people that don't have a lot of money, it can take them several years to pay off that I That's wasn't even struggling. I just didn't know what I was doing. Right, and there are a lot of people in that position. A little bit more on credit cards and debt and your calls as well. If you've got them at 800-259-9231, your financial story. This is Free Talk Live. Anything goes. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can bring up anything toll-free at 800-259-9231, the packet, 8.net, toll-free line for you. Ian, here with you. And Julia. And Mark. And you can join us online, freetalklive.com. The Shrine of Female Listeners is there with dozens and dozens of ladies who've taken the time to send us their validated photo to prove they listen to the show. See what I mean by heading over to shrine.freetalklive.com. That is shrine.freetalklive.com. Speaking of financial issues, now you can save time and money on common legal matters created by top attorneys. LegalZoom.com helps you create reliable reliable legal documents like your will or a living trust in minutes. LegalZoom.com. Use code FTL to save 10%. That's LegalZoom.com. We're talking about debt. 
Um, we're talking about credit card debt specifically, but just debt in general and how much of a bad idea it is to have it. If you have it, try to get out of it as soon as you possibly can. Don't do what Julia did for a couple of years and just make a bunch of minimum payments because then it's just going to add up and add up, and uh, you finally figured it out. At what point, Julia, did you realize that something had gone wrong? At what point did you figure out how this whole system really worked? Well, I stopped using my credit cards after about a year. I put them away. I took them out of my wallet and put them away because I realized that I had racked up a fairly small on the on the scale amount of debt. But, I mean, a large amount for an 18-year-old uh, kid out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess I, after a few years of making minimum payments, I started to realize that the amount wasn't really going down. Because the principal. Of, yes, exactly. So I started putting more I started paying more than the minimum payments and that was a, probably the best decision I made so you weren't even for a little while I mean if if you're just paying off the minimums you're just paying interest then right I mean you're not even paying anything towards if you're paying minimum payments see I don't know anything about minimum payments because I've never made one I've always paid my it, cards off on time you're you're just paying interest aren't you no it, a small mostly. amount yeah it's mostly interest and a small amount goes towards the total like I just, nine parts interest one part principal. it's something like that yeah. and you will pay off over time the amount if you don't if you don't incur more. more right if you don't incur right. more you will pay off the uh, principal amount but it'll probably take it, you several years it'll yes. take several years and they will make a lot of money off yeah, you by the that time if you've got a two thousand dollar we're talking about the uh, again this article from money central at msn She's pointing out that maybe things aren't as dire as we thought. Maybe the average American, maybe it's not fair to say the average American household has $8,000 in credit card debt because averages aren't as fair as medians. As she points out, the uh, the median amount owed by people who have credit cards, households with credit cards, is $1,900. But nonetheless, if you've got that $1,900 and you make minimum payments, that's probably going to take several years to pay off. And by the time everything's said and done, you might have paid... Four thousand, six thousand dollars on your nineteen hundred? Very easily. Probably, Probably more than six. at least twice. Yeah, if not three times as much. A few more interesting numbers, and then if you've got a story about uh, your credit card situation or your debt story, I'd like to hear it. And how it was that when you got out of high school, you didn't know anything either. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. How you figured it out? What clued you in? She says, Bill Witt at the VIP Forum, a Washington, D.C. research firm, helped me dig even deeper into the uh, statistics. By analyzing the credit card debts of all the households the Fed surveyed, Witt discovered that only 29% of households owe $1,000 or more on their credit cards. 21% owe $2,000 or more. 6% owe $8,000 or more. 4% $10,000 or more. Actually, that's $10,500 or more. And 1% owe $21,400 or more. Wow. I wonder how many of those uh, are people that have gotten it out of control. $21,000 could be very, 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 very out of control for somebody. Sure. And for somebody else, yeah. Could be no big deal. They do that in a month. Well, either way, that's still 11% of American households that that have credit card debt, 11% of them over $8,000. That's pretty significant. So one out of every 10 households with credit card debt is really in the hole. The Fed statistics pretty much um, jibe with what Fair Isaac, the creator of the FICO credit score, discovered when it reviewed millions of credit reports. There are FICO. FICO. There are a few differences between the universe the Fed examined and the one looked at by Fair Isaac. For one thing, credit reports are individual. There's no such thing as a household or even a joint credit report. Also, you have to you have to have and use credit to have a credit report. Finally, credit reports don't typically distinguish between balances you pay off and those you carry each month. 
But again, Fair Isaac's statistics show a world in which most people are light to moderate users of credit. About 48% of credit card holders owed less than $1,000. I wish our uh, government was as good at uh, credit as Americans Americans seem to be. About 10% of cardholders had totaled card balances in excess of $10,000. More than half of all people with credit cards use less than 30% of their total credit limit. Just over 1 in 8 people use 80% or more of their credit card limit. Does this mean that all the hand-wringing over consumer debt is so much noise? Hardly, although most Americans seem to be avoiding the credit card trap, there are still plenty of people on the financial edge. More than a third, 36% of those who owe more than $10,000 on their cards have household incomes under $50,000. You're never going to pay that off. Well, you, you you can. I mean, you just have to choose difficult. to. And uh, another thing, um, you know, when if you make a decision to pay off your credit cards, which is a great idea. Uh, if you're going to put something on your credit card, pay it off that month. But if you make a decision, you know, there's there's time in people's schedules to pick up a second job. True. You really need to look at your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. If if you if you're in this situation where you've got more it's than it's not 10, what 000, you make, it's what you spend and what you do exactly. Uh, if you're in a situation like this where you've got more than ten thousand dollars on your credit card and your household income household income is under fifty thousand dollars, you've really got to change your lifestyle. You've really got to take a close look at what you're spending your money on and what you don't need to be spending your money on. Take a, you know, as you go throughout your day, have yourself a, a yellow pad or something like that mm-hmm. where you write down every single thing you spend money on throughout the day. Doesn't matter if it's just a cup of Starbucks coffee in the morning. You write it down on that pad. It's an expensive and, cup of coffee. Right. And you take a look at it every single day and you look at that and you say, hmm. Now, do I really need to have this Starbucks coffee in the morning every day of the week? Because a lot of people, they get into a habit, right? Right. They get into the habit of on the way to work, they stop off, drive through Starbucks or walk in and, and walk out with a, a $3 cup of coffee oh, or more. Oh, yes. I see this every single day. Well, you, know, you, work at, you work at Panera Bread, and so people come in on a daily basis, and they do these things. Correct. Every single day. Sometimes multiple times a day. Why were you grimacing, Mark? I, I just uh, didn't like the idea of you telling where Julia worked. Um, oh. The, uh, you know, that some, some some of the coffee at uh, Starbucks is two bucks. You can get a regular cup of coffee for two bucks, and then they have their specialty drinks that go for four and five. Still, though, I mean, two dollars is a, a good day. average, but and you could brew your own coffee at home for so much cheaper. It's true. Two dollars a day times five days a week, presuming you're a five day a week worker. That's ten bucks a week times fifty-two weeks. You're up to five hundred twenty dollars a year. It's true. That's five hundred twenty dollars that could go to your credit card debt. I, I would agree with you, but probably the um, a faster way to go is uh, watch out for the new cars. Um, you okay. know, a car that's two years old is in in most cases is just as serviceable as a car that's brand new. Um, you know, there might be some weird thing that went with it, but there could be some weird thing with a new car, too. Sure, they could. You know, sometimes cars are just bad, and dealers, you know, that's why they have lemon laws in some states, um, in most states, because uh, dealers don't want to do anything with a new car that's bad either. Um, sometimes they've gotten better about it over the years. But, um, you know, if you, that new car has built into it something like a quarter of it is retail. Mm-hmm. That's just money that goes away when you drive it off the lot. Sure. It's just not worth it is worth 75% of what it was when you drove it off the lot. You pay that. That's what you're paying in order to drive a new car. Get Does that two- smell worth it? Yeah. Get a two-year-old car and buy the new car smell spray. 1-800-259-9231. The pack at 8.net toll free line for you if you've got tips to get out of debt. Because um, a lot of people are in it. 
and it'd be better for them if they got out. Share them. 800-259-9231. It's Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up what you want, toll-free, 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net, toll-free line for you. And it's Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. And you can join us online, freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are completely free, including archives. An entire year's worth of the program right there on the front page of the website for your download and convenience at freetalklive.com. I mean, free. There's no jumping through hoops. There's no logging in. There's nothing like that. You just go and click and download and enjoy. Freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project, your only choice for personal freedom and smaller, less intrusive government. To learn more about joining the Second American Revolution, go to freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. Or stay where you are and enjoy your tyranny. 800-259-9231. Talking about debt. And one of the things that you might want to do before you move to uh, the free state is get out of debt or do it afterwards. I guess it doesn't really matter that much as long as you have enough money to get up here. It might actually be easier to get out of debt in the free state. Why do you think that is? I don't know. Lower tax burdens? There is a, that, one of the lowest tax burdens in the United States. That's another factor. I mean, we're talking about different things that people can do who are in debt, things they can do as far as analyzing their finances, uh, getting not purchasing new cars, which I think is a great idea. Um, you know, I, I suggested getting a two-year-old car. I say that's that that's the newest car you should get. Right. I really that's something would, that a Mark would do. I would, yeah. I, I I own a two-year-old car simply because you know, well, I'm snotty. I, on the other hand, uh, own an almost ten-year-old car. You know, and it works fine. And it's got over two hundred thousand miles on it. And I had to do a fifteen hundred dollar repair job as soon as I bought it, but nonetheless, um, you know, it's working fine now, and I got it for less than market value, so I'm yep. all right. And as long as as long as it gets you from point A to point B, and point B is where you're making money, then it's doing its job. And uh, I actually had to say something to you earlier this week, Mark, because you were talking about how you want to get another car, and you you just bought another car, you just purchased this Honda Element thing mm-hmm. uh, recently, which is this kind of this rugged uh, vehicle it looks that like you the, can hose it, down on the inside. It looks like the box that my uh, Celica convertible came in, <laughs> and. Uh, so you bought this new car, or it's not new, it's a couple years old, like you're saying. You bought this recently, though, and now you're already talking about getting another vehicle. And I said, Mark, slow down. What, what, do you, what do you need another vehicle for? This thing's great in the snow. It drives. You say you like how it drives, but the only thing your issue is you don't like how it looks. No, I really don't like the way well, it looks. I Get told you it. that before you bought it. Well, what am I going to do? You'd find me an all-wheel drive sports car, uh, convertible sports car. Get over it. Do you it. have to have a convertible sports car? Um, Apparently. Okay. You you live in New Hampshire. People don't care what your car looks like up here. People and think Subarus looks are cool. Nice. It looks fine. I care what my car looks like. <laughs> well, anyway, if you're concerned about debt, don't act like Mark. Just hey, look, uh, I get look, a car man. I got plenty works. of money in the bank. I'm doing fine. I know. That's good. Good for you. Congratulations. Uh, so get a car that works. If you, we're talking about people who are in debt, please do not be concerned about how your car. Looks. Most importantly, pay your debt off, and that yeah. would be what I would be doing if that was my concern. So we're talking about different things that people can do uh, to that end. And I think that while you're right, Mark, looking at the major, um, the major debt that people incur, cars and houses, is important. But I, I also think it's 
it's very critical that you not overlook the little things as well. Because if you have a bunch of little habits, it really can add up. Especially for younger people who make less money. Um, sure. You know, what's considered a little thing when it's, when you talk about a $2 cup of coffee um, can be something close to 1% of your pay. And if you do that every single day... Mm, it gets to be a lot of money. Right. So we're talking about analyzing the different things that you do on a daily basis, the different things you spend money on. And that morning cup of coffee for two bucks or three bucks or whatever, it, even if it's a two dollar one, that's five hundred twenty dollars a year that you're spending. And if you're the average American household with nineteen hundred dollars in credit card debt and each of you goes out and gets a cup of coffee every morning, then you're looking at over a thousand dollars in coffee alone between the two of you. And you've got $1,900 in credit card debt. By the end of year number one, you could have paid down half of your credit card debt. And that's not even looking at the other habits that people have. Cigarettes, alcohol, other vices you might have. Not just vices, but just conveniences. Remember, you pay dearly for convenience in life. Whether it's going down to the 7-Eleven to buy yourself a half a gallon of milk, you're going to pay far more at the 7-Eleven than you would at your nearby grocery store. Right. Because the 7-Eleven is convenient. And similarly, when, you're going, when you go to work and it's time for lunch break and you go out to Applebee's or you go out to the Waffle House or wherever, even if the Burger King. Packing a lunch saves a lot of money. It's, that will save, it, packing a lunch alone could pay off a $1,900 credit card debt every, uh, in a year. It's possible. Sure. It could. You go out to Burger King or McDonald's. There's five, five, six dollar combo meals. Everybody buy. Oh, I'll have a number one or number two, six, seven dollars. Mm-hmm. And you can pretty much you can have a sandwich and a soda and uh, some fried potatoes uh, in a packed lunch. It's you know it, it's not that much different. Right. It does take a little bit of time. It takes a little bit of forethought and it takes a little bit of effort. But if you're willing to put those things in, if you're willing to invest those things beforehand, and you know what you can do is if time's really an issue for you and time is really um, squozen in that you don't feel like you have a lot, then make up some sandwiches all at once. You know, if you if you want to have sandwiches during the day um, in a take uh, t- pack in lunch to work, when you're making the sandwiches, make five of them. That way you don't have to get out the the mayo and get out the knives and wash the dishes five times during the week. You just do it once, and you make five sandwiches and you put them in the fridge, and then you take them out every single day. Uh, maybe uh, if you don't want them to get soggy, you throw the tomatoes on that day, and then you go, saving I, time. I found that it, um, if you have a job that al- uh, allows this, and it, it, sometimes it can be difficult, is to keep the uh, fixins for a sandwich at work mm-hmm. makes things a lot easier. You have to be careful about the- uh, fridge theft. It, de- it depends on where you're, you're just imagining that you know where someone works. <laughs> you know, people work in all kinds of different places. I think fridge places. theft is an issue at every workplace. Um, well, it just depends. Um, depends on how many people work in your workplace. Sure. And, I have a problem with people throwing stuff away that has my name on it. Yeah, well, people have a tendency to do those things. So, but, I, but sometimes you can make sandwiches at work. Right. So these are just some simple areas that you can look at your life and look at the things you spend money on and just cut back. And I think another one, and I know this is going to be hard for people, another one's gift giving. Because... People in America feel obligated. And I don't know how it is around the rest of the world. I'm sure some other um, countries suffer from this as well. But if you are financially in dire straits, if you have debt, why, why are you going to spend hundreds of dollars buying gifts for your friends and family at Christmas time and on their birthdays and that sort of thing? Why? You're just digging yourself in deeper. If your friends and family really care about you, then they will agree with you when you say, hey, mom. You know, I really love you. 
I'm just going to have to give you a kiss this year for, for Christmas time. You can get away with a card usually. I mean, depends on how uh, bad off you are. Nonetheless, I mean, if you're, if you're dro- dropping from several hundred dollars to a Christmas card, okay, that's a significant drop. But either way, look, I'm going to give you a card and a kiss this year. I love you, but I'm, I'm very badly in debt. And I really just can't afford to buy you gifts. A lot of people um, think that it's, you know, you can do, especially when you're talking about mom, there's a lot of things you can do. She may need things done around the house, like sure. lawn mowing, um, you know, window washing, uh, you know, there's uh, car, you know, car washing, all kinds of things that people can, you can do for a family that, you know, they're going to use a lot, that's going to be more, a lot more helpful to them anyway. So it won't cost a, you anything. Just a few simple ideas. And once you start really looking closely at your spending habits, you'll find those areas where you can zero in and uh, and hopefully find the willpower to, to cut them out, thereby keeping more money in your pockets, thereby allowing you to pay off that credit card debt that much sooner. 1-800-259-9231. Let's go to the phones. To the fun, it's Dave in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian, Julia, and Mark. Hey, Dave. Hey, lads. Hey, what's on your mind? Well, uh, one guy who's not in debt is uh, Ed Brown of New Hampshire. Indeed. He still has the $500 that the feds uh, covet. $500? Uh, $500,000. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, actually, I don't know. I think they want him to pay a million bucks or something like that. But anyway, he, he's, he's got it. He's not giving it to him. Now, where does he stowed, have it? Is it stowed under a mattress somewhere? Because it sure as heck isn't in a bank account. Well, I, I don't know where it is either. Uh, and I think it's just as well. <laughs> right. But um, the... Um, uh, but yeah, he's still holed up in his house in Plainfield. I actually had somebody ask now. I had so yeah, his wife is there. I had somebody asking me yesterday what's the latest on the Ed Brown case, and I said, you know what, Dave hasn't called in from New Hampshire, uh, so I had to go to the. I went to the website because we've been sort of relying on you to give us the uh, the latest, and we'll bring you back here in a moment to have you do that. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one is the toll free packet eight line. But I went to the website. It looks like they're still just holed up. There's nothing really that's going on. I think they're just waiting for a shoe to drop or something like that. I'd be holed up in Pego Pego. More on the way. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show, and you can take control of the airwaves. Even in these remaining moments, 800-259-9231, the packet 8.net. Tell free line for you. That's 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Julia. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features there are totally free, so enjoy those. They're on us, though do support the show on a voluntary basis by going and voting for Free Talk Live. It is a once-a-month sort of thing that we ask for, and it takes you maybe less than a minute's time. And that's if you're inexperienced at it. Okay, it's not it's not very difficult. You just go to vote.freetalklive.com. You need your email address. You punch it in. They send you a verification email to make sure you're a real person. You click the link in the verification email. You're done. Just that easy. Yep. So vote.freetalklive.com. Your votes keep us at the number one position in pod in the podcast world. There are about 30,000 podcasts out there, and we're number one because of your votes. So if you've yet to vote this month, please go to vote.freetalklive.com to cast your vote for Free Talk Live. It makes a big difference because us being number one means more new people finding the show and thereby finding the message of freedom and liberty. And if that's important to you, you really should vote. And then, if you can, ask some friends. Shoot out some instant messages or some emails and ask your friends to go and vote as well at vote.freetalklive.com. As we go back to Dave in New Hampshire, you're back on Free Talk Live with Ian, Julia, and Mark. Now, Dave, giving us kind of an update on the uh, the Ed Brown situation. He's still holed up in his house in Plainfield. Uh, the feds still uh, essentially threatening to arrest him and throw him in jail for the rest of his life. Yes, and at the same time, repeatedly promising that they're not going to 
do any kind of armed standoff or raid the house or anything like that. So they claim. And so it's like they've got two different messages they're sending out at once. Right. Message number one is we're going to throw you in jail for the rest of your life, but we're not going to come and get you. Pretty much. Yeah. I'd uh, never leave my house. Right. And I don't think you should either. Right. But, uh, yeah, not a great deal has been happening. Uh, I was actually calling to uh, just to an amusing little anecdotal update. The first Ed Brown rap song has now been recorded and published. Really? And that's on the uh, Quest for Fair Trial blog, which is Ed Brown, the main blog supporting Ed Brown. But I just saw it today. I thought it was kind of cute and would share it with you. Okay. But if, if people want to find that blog, the, the, the URL is indecipherable. But if you go to Yahoo or Google and you just type Quest for Fair Trial, It'll take you right to it. Now, wait a minute. Are you actually going to rap for us, Dave? Oh, no, no, no. I I didn't write the song. It was a guy <laughs> named, uh, a young man named Philip Morris. He did a rap song and made a music video, and he's the real deal. <laughs> uh, it wasn't the best rap tune I've ever heard, but it was the real thing, and uh, it was nice to have him on board. Well, that's very cool. And uh, anything else going on uh, in your world, Dave? Oh, sure. I was going to tell you a little bit more about the Ed Brown situation, yeah. uh, since you're asking for a general update. Um he is, as always, not the easiest person to support, uh, and so you know he's not getting as many people at the house as probably I wish that he had. Um, but he's definitely you know you cannot accuse the guy of failing to be interesting. He's now taken the religious turn, and uh, he's got a prophet with him now. Oh my! A uh, man mean? with a long white beard who wears all white, <laughs> has all white hair. Gandalf? <laughs> is, is it at Brown's house? <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> Although I don't know if he, I don't know if if the prophet is there at all times. I believe they import him and export him to Hawaii. <laughs> now, have you actually gone back there recently? I know that you had a little bit of a. There was some a falling out between you and Ed, and that did that get patched up or? Well, what's going you on? know, falling out is not quite the right word. He asked me to leave when I informed him that I wasn't going to use violence to you know, to support or help him. Uh, that I was just there to be there. You know, it was mm-hmm. sort of a. Uh, a complicating factor and a deterrent just by my presence. You know, I mean, they don't want to. They're more scared of peaceful people in some ways than they are alarmed people. Didn't he also uh, get paranoid uh, because you work for uh, for a big news company? Yeah, I worked for a TV station. Uh, he didn't like that, and also uh, he found me looking for bleach uh, in the upstairs washroom or something like that. And you know, some of the folks downstairs that asked me to, to look up there. Apparently, we weren't supposed to be upstairs. I didn't know that, but. Ed, I mean, everything changes with Ed from minute to minute, you know, in terms of policies and what he wants and what he doesn't want. Um, just, it is his home, and it, it gets a exactly. little weird having that many people in your house, I can sure. imagine. Especially exactly. if you've got something. I can understand he didn't know you were upstairs. Uh, he's probably got some things upstairs that you weren't supposed to see, so he probably got a little bit nervous about that. But uh, but nonetheless, uh, you're still standing behind him as far as supporting him in that he shouldn't have to go to jail for keeping the money that he earned, right? Correct. I've now done maybe seven demonstrations for him. I'm going to do eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and I, I hope that everyone too is is thinking about what they will do the day after they come for Ed Brown. If they do come for him, we all need to be thinking about what are we going to do about it exactly. Well, it's a um, it's a great point um, because the day of reckoning is coming soon. I mean, you'd think that the feds, for all their talk about not doing any sort of uh, armed standoff or raid are going to have to figure something out because come April 24th, I believe, is the date, that's going to be his sentencing. And they're going to want to have him in that courtroom for the sentencing. 
They are. So things are going to get pretty interesting here within the next six weeks, I would think. And, of course, Dave, we, ex- uh, we appreciate you continuing to update us. Thank you for the call. 1-800-259-9231. Dave, of course, uh, is just a hell of a freedom fighter here in the state of New Hampshire. He's facing jail time himself over handing a flyer to an IRS agent. He's facing 30 days in jail for that. That story is so absurd when you tell people they don't believe you. Yeah, well, uh, it's going to be even more uh, crazy if they actually do come after him. Because right now, we sort of think that they're they're bluffing. Does he have a, a new trial date as as of now? I don't know. I, th- I think that when he was at his last trial, he didn't bother to ask them what the new trial date <laughs> is. So Why bother? Yeah, well, he, he doesn't know. Does he, not, well, he, he would go if they gave him a piece of paper that said go. I think he would. Russell yeah. Canning, not going to go. Russell, <laughs> Russell's probably going to be a wanted man here shortly. Mm. Uh, but yeah, okay, you know, we haven't even talked about that. I don't think we've talked about this, I, and I meant to. Russell, um, another super activist here in New Hampshire, another early mover for the Free State, uh, for the Free State Project, is uh, was arrested about a week and a half or two weeks ago at this point for driving without a license here in Keene. I think he had one of his headlights out. A uh, police officer pulled him over. Of course, he doesn't have a license. I think he had a license at one time in his life. He's certainly capable of driving. He's an adult male, and he's fine behind the wheel it's just he doesn't have a license now and so they arrested him for it he was uh, he got out of jail shortly thereafter and he told the people in the jail i'm not coming to the trial <laughs> <laughs> because he doesn't respect their authority right he and and i think he's a, a very courageous man and he's uh, he's such an interesting approach. He pretty much just ignores the government, right. pretends like they don't exist, and I think that it's amazing and and funny. And I certainly and the government doesn't do not have the time, money, or courage to do that currently. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, luckily, Neither. luckily he does. And hopefully this time, if they go, if they come and get him, that any sort of trial and that sort of thing will take place here in Keene, so all of us can get involved and maybe go out and. To a fully informed jury association protest or something like that, and and try our best to uh, to help our friend Russell. But uh, he's just he's just an amazing guy, and I know he's going to be on Free Minds TV tonight, which by the way gets posted about a week after it's produced online at freekeen.com. So if you actually want to see what Russell looks like and see what his demeanor is like, he's the most laid back, friendly, always smiling. There, there's never a time I've seen Russell look serious. He uh, he always has a smile on his face. He does. He really is just the nicest man. He takes he takes everything in stride, and uh, it's just an it's an attitude I wish more people had. Uh, he's an amazing guy. So we'll keep you in, uh, we'll keep a clue in on his situation as well as it develops. Lots of uh, threats being thrown about here in the free state on the part of the government. I'm thinking that they they just might be d- uh, bluffing when it comes to Dave though. Why is because that? Because that judge said he threatened Dave with 30 days in jail over this. And if they actually put him in jail for 30 days for handing a piece of paper to somebody, they're going to start to look even more tyrannical to even more people. And they don't want that. So we'll see how they handle this. This should be interesting. Now, real quick, Julia, you had a story about uh, some girls in school and well, saying I found, a word I came that people a, didn't like. I came across a story in the middle of last week about three girls who were um, in a government high school were suspended for saying the word vagina when they were reading um, an, something from the vagina monologues. <laughs> and I found that really silly. And the reason that they were suspended was because they were told not to read 
that story. Right. Um, they were told not to do the, They were yeah. t- told not to do the, the play entirely, right? Yes, because they were said that there would be children present, and they didn't want them to hear that word. Which, in my opinion, it's it's a body part. Why can't you hear that word? I, that doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, apparently today I found out that the suspension has been rescinded for some reason and that the principal and the superintendent would not comment. Well, they couldn't take the uh, national heat. It came, you know, it was a big, a reasonably big story. Yes. So, uh, so that's good. A little bit of good news actually there. Well, and really, there's, there's, the vagina monologues are, are somewhat politically uh, aimed. I mean, it's not just a it's not just a play. Oh, I understand that. They didn't read the whole play, though. It was just an excerpt or something from it. And what got me was that they got punished for saying the word vagina. Yeah, it's ludicrous. I mean, boys have penises, girls have vaginas. It's a body part. Everybody's got them. Get over it. Yeah, let's uh, understand and get over that and move on with our lives instead of... uh, Focusing on this puritanical insanity in this country. It's Vinny in here with you. And Julia. And Mark. And we'll return tomorrow night online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronic, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supplies, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com.